You can't do away with the kingdom of God. <laughs> I'm Jonathan. I'm Jeremy. We are still evangelicals. Although we are Americans, we today are mourning the loss of the queen. The queen. 70-year run. That's a pretty good uh it's a pretty good go. That's amazing. I don't know that I know anyone in my life who has had a vocation for 70 years without retiring. I knew um our our executive pastor Brad, his dad was the worship leader at his local church for 50 years. Wow. That, I mean, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, that is so. But 70 years of being the queen, really. That is crazy. It's I remarkable. Mean, yeah. So, uh, I guess from from us to the, all of the people in Great Britain who are mourning the loss of their queen, our condolences to you. And, and if you listen to this, let us know. We'd like to know. On the other side of the pond that you're listening to uh, the evangelicals. So Jeremy has this has this wild idea. Wild. That since, you know, in honor of the queen, that we would talk today about the analogy of the kingdom of God because, you know, Jeremy, Jeremy says, and I think that he's right, that for those of us who have no sense of what a monarchy is, maybe we're missing some things in the analogy. Jeremy... I'm speaking for you. Why don't you speak? Give give the give the thought of the inspiration of the of the episode today. <laughs> well, what I was saying was that the the American response to what's happening. Um, you know, I think some people are really intrigued by all of it. Obviously, it's been a while. Um, you know since this this is this transition has Any happened. Turnover in the monarchy. Exactly, a turnover in the monarchy. And I think just because we um, are a democracy, I think some of the response, not all, but some of it is, I just don't get it. Like, what's the big deal? D- d- does she really have any power? What does she do? Why is, like, because they have a prime minister who seems to be more of the political figure in the world st- on the world stage. Um, so I just think that there's just a, we just don't get it. Like, why it's such a big deal? And, and, you know, I was telling you, I heard on the news this morning that the the line to see her coffin, not even her body, somebody said was over like three miles long. People are waiting and walking three miles to get a chance to to walk through a room. And I'm guessing for seconds um, to, to pay yeah. a tribute and honor, my guess is they don't get to stand there as long as they want to, but they're waiting in a line, I'm, you know. I, that's you just know, that's just crazy, I guess, because we just I don't know that we have anything like that. It's also it's possible that it's possible that the most famous person in the world has just died. Yeah, you think of pop stars, their r- scope of influence is only so broad. You think of famous athletes, even other famous world politicians. I because of the longevity of the Queen's reign. And the previous expanse of the British Empire, which even when she, st- which is much smaller now than when she started, if you think about it, you know, I, I think that there are there are people all over the world that have somewhat of an interest in the monarchy, and so it really is the the fame of the Queen is is beyond I think even our our scope of understanding 
here in America because we, you know, the maybe to us a popular person is, uh, you know, Justin Bieber. Donald Trump is probably very, very famous. He's a he's a very famous person. You know, the celebrity turned president. And he went from Bieber to Donald Trump. That was that's a good jump. Well, but you know, <laughs> hey, but but seriously, it's that's pop icons for us. I would say you know? for us in America, it's more our athletes. Maybe even yeah. then in our politicians and, and like you said, a pop stars. Um, I, I just think, you know, I think her face is on money in other countries, which is just hard to fathom. It and, is. And yeah. so it's just this interesting dynamic that once again, I think that because we don't have that form of government, I think some Americans are like, well, what's the what's the big deal? Like, wasn't she just a face or, you know, or did she actually do things? Um, and I just think that that we just are struggling. So. So then that made me think, is the reason that we struggle to understand when Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, do we struggle in a country that, that has a democracy to understand what, what Jesus was, the, the bigger picture of what Jesus was trying to implement or trying to get his disciples to follow with this language of kingdom and, and what that looks like? And, and maybe there's some things lost in translation because kind of like the queen we're just like i just don't get it because we don't have anything that would um be equivalent i guess in our probably anywhere in our country whether it be local state or national understanding of how we choose to set ourselves up politically and socially i want to make a small tribute to the british form of government for a second as we kind of lean into the analogy and talking about Christianity in America. But I, I completely affirm your point that I don't think we completely get it. We probably ask the question, what's the function of the queen? You know, in every healthy government, there are checks and balances of power. And in the British government, even though the queen isn't a part of parliament, a part of their tradition of government is that the prime minister has sessions of accountability with the queen where the queen gives reprimands, gives opinions, gives affirmation, you know? And it really is quite something to just consider that the most powerful political figure in Great Britain has to come and stand before the most popular person as far as and because most popular has a sense of power a sense of prestige and there's actually there's actually a sense of accountability there that is rather healthy well it's just interesting too something that i never thought of that when they were talking about you know charles taking the throne and is now king and they used a word that just i never thought of but they said what will his agenda be and so to me that 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 gave, you know, not not and I'm one of those people I just don't understand all of the ins and the outs about how the British government works. But if the king has an agenda, that means he is trying to implement or there are things that they can do or that they're trying to do or they're trying to implement for their people. And and, and so I just like I said it was just interesting and, and and I just made the jump whether it was fair or not fair to um, and you're like, man, your brain works really strange, but just do we understand holistically or do we miss some of the images that Jesus was talking about when he was talking about the kingdom of God? And so that, that's just kind of where my mind well, was going. Because we fought against Great Britain, 
to gain our independence, I think we have a jaded perception of monarchy because in a healthy monarchy, kings and queens recognize that they're not doing any of the work. Mm. It's the subjects that do all of the work. Their job is to influence. Mm. That's what a king and queen does. And so in an ideal monarchy, subjects have a sense of reverence and honor and respect for their king or queen. Now, in a, what, what's interesting, so you, you talk about the analogy of the kingdom of God and our lack of understanding of a king. Well, as Americans, fundamentally, we are suspicious of kings. Huh. We are suspicious of anyone that would say to me, give up your life for mine, lay down your rights, and follow after me. And so it's actually, Jeremy, I would say, I would, I would echo your sentiment. Okay. And I would say that it is actually hard to have a radically American mindset and be a Christian just fundamentally because of how politically we are oriented to not be loyal to anyone else other than ourselves, to not give up our own personal interests for the sake of the greater interest of the kingdom. I mean, the, the backbone of our, of our country is based upon rebelling against this bigger thing mm. that's bigger than me mm. right and and um you know evangelical christians tend to be conservative politically again not not all but and um and i and i grew up in a very conservative uh, conservative political environment i i still tend to lean that way it's hard for me to get out of it jeremy but the but the kind of the conservative politic is this less government is better right that i don't i don't want my life to be run by this thing that is this big thing that's bigger than me but but we just got to recognize that that comes from the ref, the revolution it comes from the idea that we're getting rid of this this unnecessary big thing and we're just being loyal to ourselves and taking care of our small communities right and i think it's interesting too that in the discourse of today, you're starting, which is just once again, just kind of so fascinating, is you're seeing hats that say 1776 on them, um, which I think is a call to, we think the government's getting too big again and we need to, to, to have another revolution or another right. uprising or whatever. All right, so, um, so this just maybe... You know, I don't think it's a hot take because it's in the Bible, but I think it's just another interesting thing that that once again Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom of God. But I I think that if we're really true to Scripture, I'm not even sure God wanted there to be a kingdom because in in First Samuel eight, the people are looking to Samuel saying, we want to be like all the other nations. Yes. Give us a king. Give us a king. We want to be like all the other people. And Samuel gets upset because he's kind of the judge and kind of the one who's who's in charge on some level. If there's disputes, they come to Samuel. So Samuel gets upset. And there's this interesting line that the Lord Yahweh looks at Samuel and says, don't be upset with the people. It's not you they're rejecting, but they're rejecting me as their king. And so I even wonder if it was never God's intent for the people to be set up in such a way where they had an earthly king, but he wanted to be the one 
who was ruling over them. Because then if you read the rest of Samuel, first Samuel eight, he tells them like, this is not going to go like you think it's going to like, this the is king's not going to make your daughter, his bedroom slaves and his kitchen slaves. He's going to make your sons, his soldiers. And he's going to his... tax you. You're yes. going to have to get. And so I think that even God didn't want this understanding for the people of God because he wanted them to be free to not be bound by a certain place or a certain understanding of how we, what we have to do to keep this power, to keep this control. He wanted them to be free to serve, to, to, um, to do things that maybe didn't make sense in the light of how the world was run, because you were once again living for a different understanding of how the world worked. And so I think that Jesus comes along and because they were accustomed to the kingdom understanding of how government worked and what that looked like. I'm going to say, and I don't know, this is where, you know, this is why Jonathan said what he said in the opening. I think Jesus was using where they were, how they thought about how the world worked and attaching a language to what he was about to try to help them understand who he was and how he wanted them to live in the world. You're being too radical, Jeremy. (laughs) I'm afraid that we're going to lose our funding. People are going to start calling you Rob Bell. <laughs> he's he's spitting out radical ideas. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy, right? Um I I think that the idea is fascinating, particularly in light of John's revelation of Jesus Christ, who says that at the end there will not be a need for a temple. Mm. There will not be the need for a central place where one reigns. Because the presence and knowledge of God will be everywhere. Yeah. Just kind of to your, to to this idea of, it it does seem as if in the in the Old Testament, and not just seem, it's just in the Bible, that it wasn't God's design that there be a a a, mon- a formal monarchy with an earthly king, but God was just wanting to lead them and using you know judges and prophets, and if they would listen to Him and heed His word, they were going to be okay. Right. And there's this idea. That in the end, throughout the world, there will be this sense of heeding and obeying the word of God without any sort of legislative body needed. Right. Right? I mean, that's just, um, that's a really compelling, compelling thought. But, but the fact of the matter is Jesus does use, he does use the analogy of the kingdom. Uh, with my students, every, every semester as I'm teaching at the University of Dayton, we talk about the kingdom of God. And on the, on the board, I ask my students, you know, to tell me about a kingdom. What what does a kingdom have? What makes a kingdom a kingdom? So you know we've got we've got the monarch. You got a kingdom always has a king or a queen. You have subjects. You have people that serve. A a kingdom has a jurisdiction. There's parameters as far as land are concerned, right? And uh, there are rules. And there's often some sort of currency, right? And these are usually the four or five things that people come up with and they say this is how what we would say is is a kingdom. And so then I ask I ask the students. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. Who's the king? Who's the monarch? You know, the answer is God. You know, God is the king in this new kingdom. Who are the subjects? Well, it would be those that would follow Jesus. And, you know, throughout the Gospels, Jesus implies that this is not a forced following, but is a voluntary picking up of the cross and following Jesus. Uh, what's the jurisdiction? Well, it's throughout the whole world. The world. It seems like yeah, it's a universal all kingdom. people, all nations, yeah, tribes, yeah, and and this is also throughout the script. I mean, the Psalms speak to this eschatological vision. Yeah, you know, 
Um, and so what are the rules then? And we, in Christianity, we understand the rules to be uh, self-emptying, kenosis. We, we understand the rules to be the Sermon on the Mount. Love of enemy. Yeah. The rules are opposite in many senses to the kingdom of this world. Yeah. You know? And it's it's just fascinating that we in America, we do have a very complicated relationship with the kingdom of God because somehow in the church, we have bought the idea of the prosperity gospel that my that God is blessing me if I am able to indulge myself in the things that I want in my life. Like if I'm able to have a big house or a, you know, a good salary or this type of thing. But when you read about the rules of the kingdom of God that Jesus says, he says, you know, if anyone would not hate their mother or brother or sister, you know, they wouldn't be fit for the kingdom. You know, um, he tells the one guy, you gotta, you gotta sell everything and follow me. I mean, there's, there's a radical giving away, a radical undoing of the fixings of the kingdom of this world in the kingdom of God, you know, and maybe the king, what if, so I hear what you're saying that Jesus was using a metaphor that the people then could recognize. But I don't know that there's a metaphor even now though, Jeremy, that I, that I like in, in America that would help people understand the, the fullness of the kingdom of God. We don't like the idea of kingdom. No. And I, and quite honestly, I don't know that we like the idea of the kingdom of God either. I just don't think we want to admit it. Right. I think that I'm not saying there's a perfect metaphor, but I think you just said like the kingdom metaphor is not perfect either. Um, so, so I, I, I think that, so I just have tried to imagine. So, okay. I, did, I just want to clarify. I did not say that the kingdom metaphor is not perfect. I said things that would imply that, but I didn't actually, those words never came out of my mouth. Right. Why, what are you afraid of? I don't know. I'm just a little <laughs> jumpy right now. I feel like, you know, I don't want to be canceled before my career gets started, you know? Man, this is, this is interesting. Hot, hot top, hot take. Um, <laughs> I think that... I've tried to picture if Jesus were to show up right now in our country, like what images would he use to talk about what God wanted to do and what it meant for us to be the people? And I think if somebody showed up in America right now and started talking about kingdom, they'd be like, who are you? Like what, what I I just think it's an image that that wouldn't necessarily be used to convey what God wanted to do in our midst if it were to happen in America in the year 2022. If that's think, fair. Do you think that that if Jesus were to come to us that he would talk more in terms of economy because we really are um, enamored by capitalism? I think economy's good, um, for sure. I think that, um, you know, with all of the... Like with, saying just the economy of God. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I think that the... The understanding of the internet, I, you know, before I was like, I think like a network, like the church is a network of people who are across all denominations, across all languages, tribes, that is connected in a way that is beyond even geographic, like it spans the globe. Um, and once again, I understand there's holes, like I'm, I'm not saying that that this is language we should start using, but I just think that once again, that, that we sometimes um 
when we're looking at the Bible, that, that we don't, that we have to understand that once again, when Jesus is talking about the grain in the field and when Jesus is using all of these images, like it, it was very contextual in nature to the people that he was talking to. Um, you know, when he told Peter and um, Andrew and then James and John that now you're going to fish for people. Well, it was a fishing community, you know, and and, and so I think that going to go catch them. Yeah, like it made sense, I guess. Um, so I don't know. Like I said, it this this could all be just a bad bad uh, thinking, but I, I just it just got me thinking. Are there are there ways that when you say kingdom of God, people like you said are automatically turned off because we are so negative to an understanding of a king? Yeah, that. What are better ways that we can jump into what Jesus was about and um, and try to bring it into our our current situation, not in a way that that throws the message out, the the understanding of what God was about, but how do we, if that's how Jesus did it, you know? And I think John, even in the Book of Revelation, was using contemporary images and understandings. Yes for those churches so that they would understand and grasp who this one, this lamb who was on the throne um, and, and what does it mean to follow him where they find themselves in the context that they find themselves. There are two things about the monarchy, the kingdom analogy that I think would be, I, I do like this. I, I love, I love the conversation. I love kind of, you know, imagining and thinking about contemporary modern day analogies and we're not throwing out the kingdom of God but, you know, I, I do think that it, I think you're right. I think you're exactly right that it's hard for people to receive the idea because the analogy means nothing to us in America. The The only thing, I, I love elements of the thinking about the network idea. I love the elements of thinking about kind of an economic metaphor. The things about the the monarchy, though, that I that I love, there, there are two of them. The first one is the idea of lordship. That, so Jesus does do something that we as Americans don't like. He demands everything. Hmm. He does. Like he just does. And I feel like somehow in our religion, we have legitimately convinced people he doesn't need everything. He just needs an hour on Sunday and just 10% of your money. And could it be that once again, we're in a democracy. So we always get a, we think we get a voice in what is happens so yeah. we hear what Jesus says, and like, well, yeah, but I get, I get to to contribute to this, don't yeah, I? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like I get a voice in what this looks like. Right. The another another part of the monarchy analogy that I do like, and and I think this is evidenced by Queen Elizabeth's life, is the monarch is also the example. Is the the monarch is supposed to be the ideal example? of how to live in the kingdom. And this is why people in Great Britain loved this lady is because she did not misstep. There was never uh the you know the crown just came out, you know, and it's it's all about essentially the scandals in the family. But the queen herself really for 7 decades just held an amazing amount of integrity and character. You know, and the thing about the kingdom analogy with us is that if Jesus is the ideal monarch and Jesus shows us how to live and we're supposed to emulate him, that means that we're supposed to lay down our lives completely for others. Yeah. 
and I don't know that we like I don't know that we like that, but I think that that is ultimately the point of the kingdom of God is that we follow the way of the of the monarch. Yeah. And we layer we in loyalty and submission, and that's another thing we don't like. In a monarchy, you got to submit. You just have to submit. And we don't we don't submit in America. We don't submit. We have rights. So we have rights to ensure that we don't have to submit. Right. And and so and if you infringe upon my rights, then I have the the right to come after you absolutely. and make sure that you get what what's coming to you. I, I I think this is why once again we have such a hard time. I'm even gonna say with like after the Exodus, right from Egypt, and they cross the Red Sea, and the people are just they just don't even know what to do. And I think that God, like if you really read in like Deuteronomy and, you know, the book everybody read for devotions this morning, Leviticus and, you know, Joe Kaha. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that there was this understanding of God through Moses trying to tell the people that at the core of who you are is you have to be generous and loving to others to the point of setting up a way that if if the economy ever got to be where it wasn't fair for all people we're going to set up some parameters to bring it back to even yeah there, we're going to we're going to we're going to set up a system we're going to try to set up a way to live and a way to be with other people that after so many years when things kind of get out of whack we're going to have a great equalizing and we're all going to get back kind of back to ground zero if you had to give your land up because you owed a debt, you get your land back. If you, and and I think that that also is hard for us to grasp and understand because it's just not the way our system works. It's just not how we're set up. And yet, once again, I think God from the beginning was like, "Listen, you're going to be different. Like you're going to be different. You're going to be odd. You're going to to um, conduct yourself in a manner that is always looking to the lowest." among you to try to make sure that they are taken care of and that they have what they need. And that once again, if it ever gets crazy, we're going to have a moment um, every 50 years where we're like, all right, we're clearing the slate. We're going to get back to an understanding that we're all on the same ground. And I think that, that when we hear that, we're just like, ah, that's the old Testament. And you know, that's Leviticus or that's whatever. But I, and we never have any proof that Israel ever did that. And, and, and part of me thinks the reason they didn't is once again, they became um, more interested in keeping the 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 system going that, that that had been set up and it would have affected those at the top. And when you affect those at the top and you, you can't um, do anything that would um, that would jeopardize those people keeping and maintaining, maintaining quo, right? what they have because they got it through whatever means. Yeah, I, I I do think that in America, we think a lot about our entitlements. We just care so much about our entitlements. And in many ways, that just goes back to this, this moment of revolution. Uh, we the people, you know, when in the course of human events, you know, we we want to ensure that we have the freedom and the ability to pursue life, you know, liberty and, you know, happiness in 
the way that we see fit. But the kingdom of God is not at all about my personal life. It's actually about laying it down. My personal liberty, it's not about that. And it's not about happiness. And so in many ways, the American ideal that kicks against the monarchy is just antithetical to the kingdom of God in a sense. I, I realize that may upset a lot of people because for a lot of people, you know, America is a Christian nation. And yes, there are elements of liberty and freedom that are that are inherent to the gospel. But the thing that's ironic to me is that when Jesus comes, the first sermon he preaches at the synagogue, he says, I've come to re- to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, uh, deliverance for the oppressed, and, you know, the United States was kind of built on the backs of slaves. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, so it's just, it's just kind of ironic. Think that he you know? was talking about the Jubilee once again, the year of Jubilee, that that's through him, this is what was going to happen. And I, I think that we might do better. Um, I think it was Winston Churchill. And if I'm quoting this wrong, please don't. I, I get it. I'm, I'm, I think it was him who said, democracy is the worst form of government, but it's the best we have. <laughs> That's an interesting thought. Yeah. That sometimes we're so like, this is, this is the way God like ordained it. But his understanding was like, it is so hard to have a democracy. Like it's really just difficult. Um, and it's probably not the best way to, to really do it. But when you look at what else is going on in the world, it's probably the best that we have. Well, I've actually, I've, I've heard, I've heard a, a, a slightly different sentiment that the, the ideal government would be a benevolent dictatorship. However, we have yet to find a benevolent dictator. <laughs> In this, in this, in kind of the sense that, if there, if it would be possible to have someone who was making decisions for all that were selfless and uh, fair, but also cultivated a sense of responsibility in the laity, you know, that would be a great form of government. Right. But lobbyists exist everywhere you know and so I, just, I just even think seeing what's happening like in uh is it jackson mississippi with the water problem yeah like we live in america like how is this even a thing well i think that's because there's maybe some holes in democracy I'm like we're not we're not anti where we are but i think that sometimes we ordain things by god and that means you can't speak to the faults of or to the to that you can you can't speak against it so it's not that we're sitting here saying we hate our country and that we don't love and you know appreciate all that has happened and that we but what we're saying is that as the people of God we can't just um get complacent and just say well this is the best thing going as the people of God we're always seeking to be more like once again our monarch who Jesus is we're seeking to be more like he called us to be and 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 so just to sit back and say, well, you know, it was founded on this and, you know, it's got some connections to the Bible. Um, we can get complacent and say, well, we've, we're, we're good then. Like we, we, we were somehow good. And I think that the call of who Jesus is calling us to be is always a pushing towards the cross, trying to become more, 
trying to have more understanding about what does that mean for us about how we live and breathe. And once again, if it's good news, like for the world, then guess what? It has nothing to do with America, but it's good news in communist China too. And it's good news in Ethiopia where they don't wear any clothes and it's good news in, um, you know, wherever, if, if it really is good news for the world, then it isn't based upon our form of government right. and our understanding right. is formed on who Jesus was, is death, resurrection, and life, death, resurrection. And, and, and we, I think, would do better to try to, to understand that more and, um, and once again, not become complacent and not just throw our, our ring, our hat in with a political agenda but understand that that God does have an agenda, <laughs> like God's kingdom. Yeah, there is an agenda. That's right for the church. That's right, and and that has to be our identity, our purpose, our meaning, and and our understanding for how the world really works. Do you think that we've honored the queen today? <laughs> Probably not, but I hope so. Do you think that we've honored our king today? Ooh. I I also hope that even more. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, so um again, we're still kind of in the season of mourning for Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. But um I do hope that uh think think about the monarchy this week, you know? And uh the fact of the matter is Jeremy and I love to hear from our listeners. We and, do. Seriously. Only... Yeah, absolutely. So maybe send us your thoughts this week and um we, we may not revisit the conversation, but it's it's definitely a conversation worth having because the analogy of the kingdom of God is not going anywhere anytime soon. The Evangelicals podcast is recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio.